We're back with the Beer Bubbles podcast. And of course, I am sitting here with Cece. Hi, guys. Today, we're joined by one of Sweden's most published authors that write about alcoholic beverages. Urian Westerlund, welcome. Thank you very much. Who are you? Beer, whiskey, gin, chocolate, cigarette writer, amongst others. Do- doing everything that's fun, but I've written about, or about, it's 48 books now. 48 books. 48 books. About drinks. Yeah. Which is your favorite? Of the books. Of all the books. Of all, or <laughs> of all the drinks. We published a quite small bourbon book some 15 years ago. That's this far, I think, my favorite. I have a signed copy at home, so... Of course you have. Everyone should have one. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> but who is... Orian Westerlund, what is it exactly that he does? Well, daytime I work with quality management. And evening time I write books, also some kind of quality management on beer, whiskey and other stuff. Drinkable stuff, mostly. Uh, very interested in spirits history. That's, I think it's the history that does the drink. Even it doesn't matter if it's beer or if it's gin or if it's whiskey it's it's the story around the drink that makes a drink a good drink and any drink i would say either you like it or not gets interesting if you get into the history and uh, how long have you been in in the business you're in now some 20 years i started writing the first book 1998 99 after being on hundreds of tastings wondering why different guys said how they made the best whiskey in the world and no one said the same thing (laughs) (laughs) we should have something to drink while we sit here and talk about drinks and beer in particular of course Cici, what are we drinking? It's a beer that you actually brought. Yeah, this is a 3.5% uh, sour from uh, Brewski down in Helsingborg, Marcus Jalmarsson's brewery. And it's called Pineapple Pie with pineapple, coconut and vanilla. So uh, we'll see what you guys think about this Sounds one. Sounds like a summer drink. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Tastes like a pie. Tastes like dessert. Yeah. <laughs> Has some vanilla to it. Yeah, I didn't read the label actually. It's coconut, uh, pineapple. I think it's vanilla in as yeah. well. Mm. Has to be. Yeah, T- it tastes like meringue, meringue pie, key lime pie. But what's the process behind writing a book about spirits? I imagine it takes quite a lot of research. Yeah, and that's the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, actually, the first books and and even later books have started with like a shoebox collecting newspaper articles, uh, magazine articles, uh, quotes from people. You hear things, that taste things, and, and you, you write things, people say, and, and dig into them, and you read books. For, for some of the bourbon books and beer books, I, for the beer book about Swedish beer some 10 years ago, I was inspired by a beer tasting made by Edvard Blum, who we mentioned earlier today, and, and uh, I started reading old reports on on Swedish beer history published some hundred years ago, which gets interesting because many of them were situated in Stockholm and and, uh, you go around and see the old beer brewing places being furniture stores right now, (laughs) like Stalins in Stockholm and and so on. And, And you can go into a furniture shop going to the malt cellar or so in the elevator and, and uh, you dig into the history in all ways you can in my case and, and then that's the red thread in, in the book. 
But do you agree with me when, because uh, you have held a few tastings in your life, just as well as I have. Yeah. It's not about the beers. It's about the anecdotes, the people, the details. Yeah. That's what make a tasting fun. Yeah. You, usually when I do a tasting, I, I ask the participants to do the tasting of the drink. And I, I'm there to guide them through what they actually normally aren't to, I don't know what to say. You have to have people to have a beer or two before they allow themselves to say what they think it's what their aroma is and what the taste is. And when you get there, you can furnish them with the history around it on the way and the anecdotes. Anecdotes are the fun thing. Yeah. But as we talked about earlier, you don't just write books about beer. You also write books about gin, bourbon, whiskey, chocolate, much, much more. Is this because flavors intrigue you or is it just the stories? Uh, I would say both. It's Often it starts with an idea of writing a book like the gin book that has been the latest one uh, in, in some kind of new spirit that I haven't written about earlier. And from the start, I didn't know where to begin because there were and there is uh, quite a lot of good books on gin. So I started doing tastings because then you have to read your history, you have to read about the different brands there are and so on. And, And when doing tastings, you get questions and you get to know what people are interested in and you get intrigued yourself once again and you read a lot more to answer all the questions and then you start to build up some kind of uh, red thread once again to know where to start and where to end. And on this normally not-too-straight not journey, you, you end up with adding useful and quite useless facts too in order to intrigue the readers even more. And, and then you add some drinks and you add some recommendations on pubs and bars and, and so on. And I, I, I try to, to write the book that I would like to read myself because I'm usually the hardest critic myself. That's usually the case. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a lot of traveling included uh, in your research? Too little. I would like to travel more, and, and the last months have had their limitations, of course, and, and I have had small children for a few years too, but there is a point in traveling in, in several ways, both because you get to know the places where the things are made, and then it's it's a large inspiration to travel. Because I know when you did the Bourbon book, you yeah. went to the US yeah. and traveled around. Some of the photos in the Bourbon book are fantastic, I tell you. So if you get a chance to get your hands on one of those books, get them. And the text is really funny. It's not a book about the spirit, really. It's a book about your travel. Yeah, it's it's very much of a... That, that Bourbon book uh, and handbook Bourbon, uh, which in some way continued in the, the Bourbon book a year ago or two, uh, the first one was very much some kind of travel report on, on us being there for a few weeks and visiting basically all the distilleries in, in Kentucky and Tennessee. Being there gives you the facts you want to see, and you get to see them for yourself, and it, it's a large inspiration. And you meet the people. You meet, you meet the people. Have you got any plans of doing that kind of book, but with beers? Not yet, but book ideas come up 
when you wake up in the morning or when you go to sleep and so on. And, and that's also a thing. I put a whiteboard aside on my bed to write down the ideas. More or less the question is, when are you going to ask me and Rasmus to join you yeah, I on understand. a beer trip around the world and, and write th- a book about it? I, I thought there was some kind of... Some kind of <laughs> beer Bubbles documentary about Urian's uh, book travels. Uh, cheers. <laughs> beer travels. Beer travels. Cheers. Cheers. Let's aim for that. Travels, yes. Festivals, there haven't been that many uh, the last year and a half, or year at least. Uh, but is that something that you frequent? Yeah, I try to visit them as often as I can. And as you said, all of them have been postponed to another date, and to another date, and to another date right now. But uh, Stockholm, Gothenburg, of course, and time has limited me this far to visit some more of them, which I would like, but... As with the traveling, it you have to have to take your time to to visit them. But going back to your researching, are you s- completely self-taught, or do you, have you gone to any s- studying s- school? Uh, when when starting to do tastings, I used to make a thing out of the fact that I'm not a sommelier. Because 15 years ago, my experience was that people got very respectful and, and didn't want to ask questions if you tended to, to make the subject difficult. But if you make the subject fun and interesting and you can say whatever you want and you can feel whatever aroma you want, people get once again inspired. And I think that's one of the goals with the tasting, to raise the interest of the subject as much as possible. So that's also why I like to do a tasting in the way that I listen to what people find when it comes to aromas and tastes. Nothing is really wrong. It's it's very No. That, that that's one point. You you're always right. And coming back to your question, I I have a few whiskey uh, have done some whiskey traveling where education has been a part of it and I worked a couple of years on Wien and Sprit Sprit in Stockholm now Pernod Ricard being a sensory panel member and I've been spicing Aquavit since I started to drink Aquavit which was perhaps a bit too early but <laughs> anyhow I, I'm I'm basically self-taught I would say but I've been to quite some tastings myself and I very much enjoy going to tastings because you learn new manners how to do things and you learn new anecdotes as as CC said it's and sometimes you learn things you shouldn't do as well yeah that's sometimes the case too I want to talk about your book 101 beers which is an annual thing you yep. re- release a new one every year uh, 101 beers you should drink before you die is the translation of it it's found in swedish and german we know might be able to find it in english as well yeah why 101 beers and how do you choose them from the start some 11 issues ago when we made the whiskey and beer book of the same title 101 you have to drink before you die i had some kind of goal to choose the best ones but after a few issues you realize you can't choose the best ones because the best ones aren't available or the best ones whatever so it it it's been more and more of a guide to new beers and beers i find interesting because it's very subjective in in any case uh, and it's mainly been bottled beers it's i've i've tried not to choose 
seasonal beers because when it comes to Easter beer or Christmas beer, they disappear in two, three weeks or so. And they change the recipes from year yeah. to year as well. So, so it's, and it's been quite a large selection of Swedish beers since it's been mainly sold in Sweden. But I would say there's some 40-50% of beers from outside Sweden too. But you don't just choose like microbrewed beer. You There were some macrobrewed beers in there as well? Is yeah, it? and I've tried to in some way create some debate because I've had the million-selling Budweiser in the book for a couple of years and now you, you as you saw the Swedish classic Prips Blå beer <laughs> is in there and, and that's uh, on the side of Harveston and, and small brewery beers with lots of tastes and not like making love in a canoe beers or <laughs> lawn mowing beers as I used to call them. It, I'd like to, to select quite a wide range and, and then also have uh, beer nerds as, as we are to realize that a Prips blog could perhaps be quite nice ice cold when you've done your lawn mowing and so on. I normally say that every beer has its place. Yeah. So it's more about where you are in life, what you're doing and who you're with that brings more to the table than the actual flavor of the beer. Yeah. Creating the picture that every beer has its place also makes it more fun and more available than, than just trying to select the best beer every time. Yeah, and also if it's like uh, 30 degrees outside and you don't want to drink a 30% strong porter. No, the Imperial Stout has its place too, but perhaps not in that case. No, (laughs) then you want a cold lager. What is your favorite style of beer? Yeah, that's a classic tasting question. What's the best whiskey or what's the best beer in the world? Uh, This time of the year, I'd rather have a dark beer like ESB, Fuller's ESB or, or barley wine in some kind of way we just drank the new beer from Nynäsam Bruksviken Bruksviken Bockel which is also a very nice beer dark full beers I like English style beers all the year round and I, I'm also a fan of, of classic German or classic Central European beers I'm I've almost lived at the Soldatensveik restaurant in, in Stockholm and, and Zum Franziskaner is also a very nice place for drinking beers classic lager beers well when you're talking about classic british styles i, I saw look just looked at rasman and see, he just starts smiling because that's where you find him drinking yeah. esbs <laughs> uh lawn and pride that style basically yeah that's the first mission when i go to london you have to find the real ale bars <laughs> i haven't and, been here actually. And, and, and find the beers that are room temperature almost no carbon dioxide and, and just fruity full malty i remember when uh, axel who was at new carnegie brewery one of the guys who had the beer tastings came to me uh, a night after service i think with a can of uh, amber ale poured directly from the tank <laughs> yeah. you finished me. it <laughs> he was like do you want this or I'm, i'll pour it out i'm like you do not pour it out <laughs> So and yes, I finished it in uh, and the tank record time, <laughs> not the tank, Sally, but it was that was gorgeous, yes, gorgeous. Have you got any new projects coming up? Yeah, the one hundred one beers book is about to be updated with another thirty new ones. So it's thirty of them goes out and thirty new gets in, something like that at least. And uh, there is also a similar gin book that quite not has taken its forms yet but there there will be a book with gin recommendations together with 
gin drink recommendations fit for the different gins and so on. And uh, uh, we also have some, uh, I think me or someone else will look at the book on rum. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's no limits to what good things you can drink. So there's also no limits on what books you can write on. (laughs) (laughs) But you haven't had any, like, urge to do a a book just about IPAs or a book just about lagers or be more in-depth into a beer style? Yeah, what would be interesting, since I'm a big lover of Czech beers, would be just, like... Czech beers to, to uh, or or make an update on the Swedish beer history because the book mentioned was made in 2007 2008 I think and and uh, as we know there's been quite a lot that has, has <laughs> happened since then oh, really <laughs> <laughs> so uh, from the Swedish beer history up until 2007 and afterwards is mainly perhaps the same amount of information so that would be a nice thing, and, and the Swedish beer history is a fun project. Oh yeah, in mm-hmm. any in any case. But it's it's kind of cool because Sweden has a big history when it comes to beers, and then it just disappeared in yeah. like the eighties, yeah. when everything was consolidated, and you actually and had owned. well, you had seven or eight breweries who all made the same beer, basically. Yeah, and then there was some kind of lowest level on the form curve or whatever you would say in, in late 70s, early 80s, when, when Procordia, the Swedish state-owned company, made the beer that was made. And, and, and that's th- it. Things has happened to the better, you can say. <laughs> I'm happy I didn't live back then. <laughs> Do you have any advice for people who want to start writing about uh, spirits? Collect the things you you like to read yourself and write and write and write again. Because for me, it was very much like seeing someone write a book on film. You write 100 pages and then you throw them all away and start all over again. And and you have to find your style and, and have to find your way of writing that's your own and that you, as I did, something you can read with some enjoyment yourself. Don't give up. Just keep on writing. Keep on. Yeah, keep writing. Is there anybody in particular that inspired you to start writing? Yeah, when it comes to both beer and spirits, since since I like the history part of it, I have to say the Sprit book that came in Sweden, the quite famous journalist Steffo, Steffo Tornqvist. Tornqvist wrote in, in the middle of the 90s, inspired me in the way he wrote because it wasn't all facts and it was looking at that book afterwards it was very much like being on a tasting and that's kind of style I like myself to read when it comes to all kinds of books with facts it's a lot more fun more of a a story more of a story and and you can weave in the anecdotes in the story and you can present the fact without being too dry humor is, is always good to use when you want to learn something what's your favorite drinks anecdote Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to come back to that in the next, next podcast. Ask me the next question. I'll, I'll give oh, it a thought. We'll, <laughs> get back to, we'll get back to the anecdote because I really want to hear at least one of your anecdotes that you normally use when you do tastings. Who's been an inspiration in the drinks business for you then? Oh, that's also a hard question. I, I, one inspiration, of course, uh, after having met Folke Andersson, the legendary Swedish spirits blender who was responsible for all the mature spirits at 
att vin och sprit is of course and some kind of inspiration due to his his uh, skills and and the grönstets and the, all the whiskies and and everything he's made there and and inspiration too is is me having been a part of the sensory panel at Wien och Sprit was also inspirational because it taught me and the 15 others to rely on our noses and taste buds in a nice way. Inspiration from certain people. One guy who did quite a lot of tastings in Stockholm early and inspired me was Christer Hedvall who I think still does a tasting or two but he was very into mixing drinks and food too in a, in a very nice way because that's almost all drinks you, you drink can and are a lot more fun to combine together with food or, or desserts or so on. Lots of people say that uh, beer and food is much easier to combine than beer and wine. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I have to since I, I know a lot more ab- about <laughs> beer than wine. But uh, I always ask people when I, I I have my my opinions on what kinds of wine I like. But I always ask people when I I get to do something special with with wine and food. Sometimes to to learn new things and sometimes to confirm things I thought I knew, but there, then there are certain kinds of food that go together with beer, like egg, onion. Horseradish. Horseradish. And, and they aren't very much combinable with wine. So, so uh, And beer, I would say, perhaps a bit biased, but I would say beer is easier to use to a wide range of food. Yeah, but beer can be so much more than just beer. Yeah. You can find any kind of flavoring. So right now we're drinking a sour with pineapple and vanilla and coconut. Yeah. Um, it's actually, perfect it, by the pool. <laughs> it tastes like somebody put a key lime pie in this beer. <laughs> <laughs> Just poured it around a bit. <laughs> Combining wine and food is also very interesting because I feel like there's a misconception with wine and food because like my, my father, for example, he he was going to eat a chili stew. I was like, what red wine should I have to this? I'm like, you should not have red wine to a chili stew. <laughs> like, that's going to burn your mouth out because of the tannins. And I said, do you want white wine or, you know, I try to having, having to get some peas. And he was like, white wine to chili? Like, meat? No. So there's like this misconception that you, you can't have white wine to certain types of food and you have to have red wine for a certain yeah. type of food. I think that interrupts it a little bit as well. Yeah, and then speaking wine in this pod, which is weird in any way, but red wine together with cheese when cheese often goes a lot better with white wine and so on. We're aged bees. Well, yeah. uh, well cheese loves sweet. Like cheese is uh, yeah. quite often salty and quite dry and you, you want something sweet with it. That's why it's normally served with maybe a fig marmalade or something like that. Yeah. And if you bring a dry tannin strong wine with it i wouldn't mix it that way i'd, I'd rather go for barley wine and have something yeah i was about it. to say that often when i write the quite short stories about the the beers in the 101 beer book i end up fantasizing about what kind of, of food this should go together with the heavier beers the barley wine and and so on uh, style beers are often i often get the picture of, of brie camembert fig marmalade and so on dark bread rye bread and so which which comes natural because the aroma and the taste in the beer is like that 
and then when the if if the beers are aged a bit, then you have some fig or or plum character to it too, which. Oh, I get I get hungry now. Well, you know, with, with, with <laughs> aging and oxidization, you actually get a, a tartness as well. You get like port wine notes and stuff. Yeah. So that, that's kind of cool. And like port wine and cheese, that is a classic combination. Yeah. I get uh, throwbacks to our little trip to Gothenburg. Oh, yeah. Our first night at Krishna's house. So. <laughs> uh, aged cheddar cheese, Dijon mustard, and uh, the Oliver Twist celebration beer. Yeah, the the from double, double book from uh, that North Coast did for Oliver Twist's twentieth anniversary. Oh. Matured since then, together with an aged cheddar cheese and some uh, Dijon mustard. That mm. was quite nice. Yeah, goes down well. <laughs> it, it did. <laughs> so it's anecdote time. Come on, you gotta have a beer anecdote. Yeah, well, a, a beer anecdote, which is of course very much beer history, is the history when when uh, Josef Grohl came to Pilsen and should start to. Make his usually dark beer. 1842. Yeah. And when he realized my, my old chemistry doesn't work anymore because I arrived in a country where there's quite a different kind of water. So he experimented and, and realized I, I have to invent a new kind of beer, a light beer. Uh, and, and when doing so, invented the kind of beer that is 90% of the beer sold today. <laughs> Not quite an anecdote because it's true, but even though it's it must have been fascinating to see him trying to invent something he knew very well he had an exam to produce. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and then suddenly it worked, and it worked very well too. Well, it worked so well that almost everyone drinks light lagers today, so uh, yeah. should we go for the last question? We should. Yes, should I do it this time? Yeah, you can do it this time. Okay. Orian, this should I be getting nervous now? Yes. This yeah, it looks that it way. You should be nervous because this is the last day of your life. Okay. And you can have one more beer. Which beer would that be? So it's not the deserted island this time. No, it's, it's more of the uh, deathbed beer. And you can have whatever you want. And that's now where the, the marketing guys get right, because I, the first top-of-mind thing that comes up is, well, tap Pilsner Urquell. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we spoke of Joseph Grohl just a moment yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> uh, That comes up, but could also be a fuller CSB, which is some kind of guilty pleasure in this case. You'll end up with a 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> Black and tan. Yeah, well, I, I, I hope I still will have two hands when I'm... Uh, <laughs> About to die, so it's one in one hand and one in the other. <laughs> Orion, thank you very much for coming here and uh, being part of Beer Bubbles podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. I hope I'll be back. You uh, will be back. And don't forget to jump over to the YouTube channel. Yeah. Because you can see his face too. Check out the clip. Uh, there's also a bit of a competition. We're going to make sure you get a t-shirt from Nina's Hans Ombryggeri. Check out Facebook. Check out the new beer and check out the radio faces. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, uh, that's it for this time. Take care and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>